0: to the Dixie Polis Podcast. My name is Lucas. This is Neil. And I'm Travis. Where Southern men be reconstructing the South.
1: It's fascinating. It, it was California, that's what caught my eye. Uh, it just goes to show you how much time has changed. Cause the man was from San Francisco. He was, uh, he was a clergyman, right? Reverend... Uh, Bishop Op
0: Fitzgerald.
1: Yeah, Bishop. Wow. So, I mean, it just... It's just... It's depressing to me. It's kind of a black pill to see something like that. Like, well, I always... I, I think back to an ancestor of mine, too, who was the uh, the mayor of Portland, Oregon, back in the big... It was, a, it was one big financial crisis before the Great Depression. I forget what it was called. But uh, he had a lot of money, and what he did is he essentially loaned his money to the banks so the people in Portland would have money to get out of the bank because there was no money coming from, from uh, the central bank. You know? So it's just, it's just wild to me how philanthropy, philanthropy has even changed over the years like philanthropy now is because some people can get tax breaks it has nothing to do with it has very little to do rather with love for humanity or for the sake of others uh it has everything to do with tax breaks or you know getting an attaboy from from the public a pr it's like a pr stunt i guess you could say like you're not going to see mr beast <laughs> helping uh uh preserve Confederate monuments in the South or providing money to descendants of Confederate veterans who were uh, hurt badly by Reconstruction. Like, you're not going to see that. But the fact that this happened, and it was a bishop, and it was a San Franciscan, uh, of all people, all the way out in California, way back when, that just speaks volumes to how things have changed, and how things have changed so progressively since then. Um, but yeah, I'm just. I don't know. I was kind of in awe by that. Like and it happened, and I know this happened on more than one occasion. That didn't. It wasn't. It wasn't a uh, one-time thing. I, there were quite a few people throughout the country who did this. Uh,
0: it was ninety thousand dollars,
1: which is a lot of money back then
0: in eighteen sixty-seven.
1: Yeah, I don't know how much money that is. Uh, accounting for inflation, but I know it's a lot of money. That's, but um, like the federal government didn't. Uh, let me think about this for a second. Did, did the federal government pay retirement to, to the Civil War veterans? Yes. Wasn't wasn't there a thing yeah, where well, they did that right? But like, yeah, took forever.
2: That's how a lot of people um uh, find their Confederate veterans. Like that's how I knew. Uh, several of my grandparents were uh, enlisted. I mean, they were privates, so there wasn't a whole lot written. There wasn't anything written about them, but they had they got a veteran uh, stipend um, in like the 1890s.
1: Yeah. And see, the crazy thing for me is <clears throat> my my family has deep roots around that, and I really wish I really wish I didn't have to be pseudonymous because I'd, I'd really love to talk about it. But, uh, my mother's side were founding members of my county, uh, all the way back when Lord Tryon or governor Tryon, I can say that and that's not too specific because Tryon County used to be huge. It, it encompassed several ca- current counties now, um, and then I, you know, I had I had family members. Uh, I had one family member, my fifth great grandfather, I want to say, fourth, walk all the way to Salisbury, North Carolina, with no shoes, just to enlist in the Civil War. You know, after after there was word, after people in North Carolina caught word that Lincoln had commissioned seventy thousand troops to come south. People in North Carolina, <laughs> I mean, slavery wasn't that prevalent here, not as prevalent as in other states. So that's one dead giveaway that it was not about slavery. And when those seventy thousand troops were commissioned, that raised eyebrows. Like there is an invasion getting ready to happen from the north. So what the hell are we doing? So you know, this my, my great grandfather, great 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 grandfather, you know he <laughs> he took up he took up arms. This is a poor farmer. Dirt poor. Uh, he didn't get boots until he was enlisted. That, his first pair of boots came with, with his enlistment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and he enlisted in the Civil War. Uh,
0: Ran in moccasins, huh?
1: Yeah. Well, that's what, that's what a lot of people wore. Boots were, that was, that was money right there. You had to, you had to have money to buy boots. Um, People just don't realize how, <clears throat> and I gotta be careful how I say this because I don't want to, I don't want to like infringe upon my own, or, or interest the word I, for? I don't want to like cross up my own principles here. But I don't believe when people look on look look on the South and they say, oh, well, oh, a, a small minority owned slaves; the rest were just poor farmers. They were too poor to own slaves. It's like, okay, poor by what standards? Okay, because my ancestors didn't did see themselves as poor, and the mistake a lot of people make today is that they, they determine someone's station in life based upon their monetary value, their net worth. And it's like, look, this, this ancestor of mine had over 100 acres of land, and he was poor <laughs> by my standards back then. 100 acres of land, and he was considered poor hundred acres of land today means you're a freaking, you're wealthy. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's Bill Gates' level. Yeah. So it's like, how poor was he? Uh, He couldn't afford shoes, but he, and he was not a commercial farmer by any means. I mean, it was a, a, a large plot of land that he, you know, provided for large, you know, it wasn't just him, it was large swaths of my family that lived on this land. So, well, I
0: would also like to add what you're saying. By the way, $90,000 in 1867 is worth $1.85 million today.
1: That's a lot of money.
0: Yeah. Um, But, you know, kind of to what you're saying, they were poor in the sense that they didn't have the commercial power that we have today. But the lack of commercial power that they had. Gave them real property,
1: and it gave them it gave them a it gave them a type of freedom that you don't get in the industrialized north.
0: Right. Well, but but yeah, that's but kind that of what it is. It's because you you have stuff you can go buy like you have the internet of stuff, but yeah. you don't have real property. Right. Real property means this is something that you can do something with, but the average man doesn't have that anymore.
1: Well,
0: there, and uh,
1: they had that. Well, also, too, in the South, this is what kills me. The major disconnect between our cultures and the, uh, with those in the North and, and our friends, you know, from the other side of the country and in the Midwest and everything, they don't know what it means to own property in a lotus. But what that means is you own that property outright. There's no tax on it. It's your right. property. The government doesn't own it. It doesn't have any say. And if they come onto your property, you have free range to kill them. Right. Like you can't, unless you break a law, you don't get jurisdiction. There was no right of way or uh, what's the word for it? Uh, uh, easements. There were no easements. Your property was your property. To do with what you will. Yeah. And the, the agrarians back then, it, it's just a whole, like, it, 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 to me, it's kind of like a, an epiphany moment reading some of the Southern Agrarians and reading about the antebellum himself, it it's not people look every, look at the past anachronistically and I you know use this term again. They look at the past through the lens of the present. It's it's presentism, right? It's like so like your family owned this property off this highway. It's like what highway? There were no highway. The roads that existed back then were roads that people made on their own property that linked them to other properties. You know what I mean? And then, there were no public roads. There was no public land. All the land was owned by somebody. You know, it's it's just funny because, like, having having once been an anarcho-capitalist, this is the dream that Hans Hoppe had, you know, about the South. Or not about the South, but just about, you know, his covenant communities and private highways and stuff like that. Once the government became more centralized and they took away that unique quality in the South and superimposed their industrialized infrastructure onto the South with highways and parkways and uh, uh, these big cities and public utilities and all that, like the agrarian lifestyle started to slowly die. Now we're seeing that with Rapid development in the south, and, and going back to our last episode with Oliver Anthony. Have you heard his one of his new songs? Uh, no.
0: Well, I've heard some of his old. He he did some re-recording of his old songs.
1: Right. Yeah. So he re-recorded. Uh, not doggone it. What's it called? Uh, I want to go home, dude. That's. I think I want to go home is better than Richmond, North of Richmond. Like I want to go home, like. Dude, that that hit me to the core, deeper than North Richmond, North of Richmond. Because he touches on this topic, like, you're seeing beautiful countryside getting bought up by developers yep. and gutted, trees t- t- cut down, land turned up, and an ugly ass, just in my, in my town, not even five miles down the road from me, 90 acres of land have been destroyed for ugly ass development. All with the permission of our of our so called Republican conservative county commissioners. They're not conservative. It's not that's, there's nothing conservative about that. They 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 saw dollar sign and decided, oh, this is great for our local economy because it's gonna we're gonna get tax revenue from that because more people means more tax revenue, but also it means a higher pension for you. Know, like I told you before. And they used the COVID crisis as an opportunity to raise tax value of our of our real property so they could bilk us for more taxes. But they had the audacity to say, Oh, well, we lowered your tax rate by two percent. Well, that's it's still double what it was. I'm literally paying double escrow now. So you can't tell me that the hatred for the South has gone away. You can't tell me that Yankeeism has not infiltrated so-called conservative thought. It is. It is. There is. I don't.
0: It's pervasive. It, it,
1: it, CJ likes talk all
0: Yankeeism
2: these days. That's all we hear. For, I mean. Look at the look at the number you know the number one conservative pundits on talk radio it used to be Rush Limbaugh. I mean, I like Rush. I think he did you know an excellent radio show, but he was a Yankee conservative. Uh, look at Mike Huckabee. You know he's from oh, yeah He was a Yankee conservative. Uh, yeah. You, you know just the entire Southern thought. I mean, when Republicanism became synonymous with conservatism. That oh. is when conservatism lost all meaning. Mm-hmm. It also walked hand in hand with the crash walking
1: out. Yeah, this is why this is why I've taken up to reading Mel Bradford now that now that I have a, a copy of Reactionary Imperative. You know, you, you guys get a chance to read that. It's it's pretty good. It it looks from a bird's eye view, it looks like a bunch of disjunctive works kind of jumbled together, but it's not. They all actually. There's all there's overlap between them all. He's talking about uh, he goes into literary works, plays, to the culture, economics. Like it, there is, there has been, a such a massive tectonic shift uh, within our culture in the South, <clears throat> and there is a massive difference between southern Southern conservatives. Uh, and conservatives, you know, in, in the broader conservative movement, like Richard Weaver, this is why. This is why. This is why. When I was listening to the podcast a while back, they had a guy on there, uh, and he listed off all these great conservatives over the years. Yeah, you know, everybody from Russell Kirk to uh, uh, Nesbit to uh, he, uh, Buckley and, se- and several others, uh, but he neglected any and all Southern conservatives. Like Weaver and, and uh, Bell Bradford. and I don't. and That wasn't by accident. I, I didn't see that as an accident. Now, granted, Cr Wiley has talked about Richard Weaver on the podcast before and has a, has a, an affinity for him. Uh, but I, <clears throat> with risk of sounding like I'm, I'm like advocating for some sort of standpoint of epistemology, I'm not. But there really is a difference in. Uh, experience, and I do believe that there's there is there is a level of blood memory. My ancestors, and what my family has gone through, cannot be uh, conceived of by outside. Uh, no matter if you if you transplant here, you're still not going to get it. Like my, our 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 New England friends, our friends in California, our friends in the Midwest, they're not going to get it. They they hear Oliver Anthony, and they think it's this cosmopolitan. Grievance against uh, wealthy politicians. And it's like, it's it's actually a little bit more particular. <laughs> Listen to his interview with Joe Rogan. He talks about this. Like, Oliver Anthony, I don't know his real name, like Matthew or Michael or something. Chris, there you go. Yeah, Chris. He, he makes a specific, very specific point that I think was lost on all listeners. He makes a very specific point about people in place about his people in the Piedmont of Virginia. I'm in the Piedmont, North Carolina. I'm with him. I understand what he's talking about. You know, And he made it a point, like, he's not Appalachian. You know, he's not, there are, there are great Appalachian musicians. Appalachians have their own problems. He's, he's from the foothills, <clears throat> Piedmont. We have different problems here. That, and that just goes to show you how regional we are. Even, even, like us three, we're all three from different states. We all three have different viewpoints on on things and perspectives. Uh, Travis, you're you're coastal. You're you're in the Gulf Coast, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Lucas, you're 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 a little bit more inland, and then in the red clay of uh, Mississippi, right? Yep. And and here I am. I'm in the foothills. You don't even have mountains where you're at, do you? Either one of you?
0: Whoops,
1: I got mostly swamps and hills. There you go. Oh, and here I am. I'm in the foothills. I'm in the foothills in North Carolina. I got the mountains uh, 30 minutes to the uh, west of me, and I got the beach four, five, six hours to the east of me. So um, I don't know anything about the culture of Tobacco Row. I've met people from out there in the coastal plain who farm tobacco. But where I'm from, it's not tobacco is not the big thing here. It was dairy. Furniture and textile whenever they tried to industrialize the south, you know, those are the two big things was, was uh, uh, Textiles and furniture, but guess what they did to those jobs. They shipped them overseas So The legacy So just so a post going back to this and, and I know it's not a very big article and I'm probably extrapolating way more than necessary from this from this thing, but it makes a valid point. Why was it necessary that some Californian clergyman, bishop no less, from the other side of the country, why was it necessary that he would give ninety thousand dollars to surviving family members of veterans of the Confederacy? Not even like a full decade after the war was over. Now why was that necessary? <clears throat> because what had happened to the South, the South was totally destroyed. Okay. Our way of life, our way of life was totally Raised, even. R-A-Z-E-D. You know what I mean?
0: Yep. Well, that kind of goes back to um, you know, sweet potatoes, why they became such a dish in the South. And that's because the Yankees were too stupid to know it was food. They thought it was a weed. Um, (laughs) And they took everything else. They took all the crops that had developed... (laughs) Sorry. To the point of being harvested, and they left the sweet potato because they thought it was a weed. And, and green beans, yeah. uh,
2: black peas, rather.
0: Yeah, and so that's what we had to eat. So we ate a lot. Things, of them.
1: These things became staples. Yeah. 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 But, but yeah, um, I mean,
0: that's. I, I think this is a. I think that this kind of shows the camaraderie they had even though there was conflict. Um, Where the Californians had some love for the Southerns. And I think CJ is an example of that. I think there's a lot more unspoken camaraderie with the South. I was looking at um, a video of one of these Pennsylvanian politicians they're running for uh, I think it was congress can't remember if it was the house or the senate but you know there was a caravan of supporters behind them and they were flowing uh, sorry they were flying they were flying the confederate flag and i was surprised by that i was like really they're they're flying the confederate flag And up there, it's not apparently not that big of a deal. It happens all the time. Nobody says anything about it. Um, You know, down here at my job, if I show up with a Confederate flag on my truck, they're going to send me home because it's hate speech. Yeah. And I'm in. You know. Well, Uh,
1: the other thing, well, the funny thing about that too is the rebel flag, the battle flag. Uh, used to be used by the Marines uh, other countries fly like the people in uh, the, the two disputed territories in Ukraine that are predominantly culturally Russian they have adopted models of the rebel flag as their own yep like because it became a symbol not see that's, I don't even like calling us rebels because we weren't rebels we were we were trying to be free. Under right. the conditions of the of the Constitution that was wrongfully ratified to begin with, uh, in my opinion, Articles of Confederation is where it should have stopped. But you have all these people who who look at our culture and they were like, you know, "We carried on the legacy of our founding fathers, and we we didn't see that's the other thing too. We didn't rebel against the crown. We tried to secede peacefully from the crown." Because we had all of our own government, we our government was already fully established in the colonies. But when taxation became an issue without representation, and we started pushing back, and the thing is, it wasn't even a it wasn't even a unified front. That's another thing that people look back in the past with presentist presentist lenses. They look back on on the the colonies like we all had this coordinated effort, like we were all on freaking telegram coordinating. You know, we're gonna fight back against the British. No, these these are all isolated things that happened. Like my own hometown, there's a massive battle here. It was, it was a fratricide. Nobody was wearing uniform. Not a single freaking person in the battle wore uniform. It was it was the loyalists versus the colonialists. And, ha- and and the regulator movement is another good example down here in, in North Carolina. Like it wasn't clear cut and what it was, it was a reverberating effect, like what happened in Boston reverberated in uh, uh, Alamance the Battle of Alamance, like what happened there was because of what happened in Boston so at one point, I mean, I, I guess you could say our culture, we used to have more kindred spirits with people in the North when the revolution quote unquote revolution had originally happened but as time went on for some reason, in we owe a lot of this to geography, right? Because in the South, the South is way more, uh, way more better for farming than the North. So the North had to do something. Uh, so they industrialized. That's the best they could do. But wh- in, in in the process of industrialization, they're ripping us off, which is why we had to to bring in imports from other countries, which they then put these massive tariffs on. Like you guys remember the tariffs of the tariff of abomination. Do you remember the first uh, quasi I wouldn't say quasi. It, there was a there was a civil war when Andrew Jackson, or about to be a civil war, when Andrew Jackson was president. Because of the tariffs the tariffs were so high on South Carolina especially that South Carolina said, We're not paying that. And so they commissioned troops to come to South Carolina and even at that point in time they said, "Hell no! We're gonna the South will rise up." North Carolina got on board. Virginia got on board. All these Southern states threatened to destroy the Union Army if they if they even dared to come south to get South Carolina to pay these tariffs. Now, I, I don't want to like, go into the history of all that, but my point my point is that since there has been this growing division and ideology. Between the North and the South, that culminated, I believe, in, in, in what became known as the Civil War, or more accurately, the War of Northern Aggression. I, I hate the fact that we call it a Civil War, because it was a civil war, huh?
2: It, by definition, it wasn't a civil war. We it, not at all the throne in D.C. We we were just saying deuces. we we're out of here.
1: Well, I'm sorry if you're getting on the soapbox man now that like I getting with you guys and having gone back in history and started reading backwards you know I've read about you know, Sam Irvin who's actually become a hero of mine you know, he was a, a senator from Morganton Burke County uh, and, and reading back you know, uh, John C. Calhoun uh, Richard Weaver who's another North Carolinian from Asheville like Reading back, Southern history, Stonewall Jackson, uh, Nathan Bedford Forrest—like, I've learned a lot, but I've also learned about this this deep-seated hatred for us in the South, and I can't help but think it's because the South used to be used to be a Christian nation. To use Stephen Wolfe's term, loosely, or our, or or rather, a Christian confederation of nations, to be more specific, and now we're we're barely a skeleton of that anymore. And because there's a remnant still left, the hatred ensues. Well,
0: see, I I think it's a little bit deeper than that because, um, you know, I work for a. A firm and I'm from Mississippi. So if they hear I'm from Mississippi, what they're going to do is they're going to ask if, oh, is your math right? Did you do is that Mississippi math? And it, even if my math is right, even if they aren't intelligent enough to do their work to the best potential and my work supersedes them, there's this looking down the nose just because I'm from Mississippi. Um, And it automatically means I'm stupid. It automatically means that I don't know anything, I've never read history, or um, I'm just a fool. I know some guys who haven't read history, who could walk circles around these Californians and New Yorkers uh, who haven't lived life outside of an, an apartment in downtown uh, Manhattan you know their entire life is on three square blocks yeah and they think they're better than me because of that
1: do you remember before uh, the whole Oliver Anthony thing took off the the brief video of the the chunky the chunky dude? Appalachian philosopher, he's like on the side of the road smoking a cigarette yeah. talking about how the Celts couldn't be conquered by the Romans or whatever like
2: if a people were 2000-year-old <laughs> blood, blood 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 feud <laughs> yeah, yeah like,
1: it, like we get made fun of and depicted in Hollywood of these backwards stupid people and it's like I, I wish I could remember the name of the the book and I have to go back and look it up but it it showed how how much smarter People were in the South prior to the Civil War. I mean, think about all the, the best writers, the best artists in American history. And I Everything I could be wrong. I, I could be wrong. We could be. I could be. Wrong. But the vast majority, the vast majority of the people that are, you know, who might, who might not, you know, looking back, they, they may they may not agree with our superiority like Samuel Clemens, a.k.a. Mark Twain. There might be some self-hatred there, but they would have to admit to all the smart people that come from the South. You, you can't avoid it. But then we're always depicted as backwards, but it's like the best preachers, the best theologians, the best Authors, the the best artists, the best musicians, the best music, arguably, all comes from the South.
2: We got all the uh, all the rocket sites down here too. Yeah, Hunt, Huntsville, mm-hmm. Cape Canaveral.
1: We Remember put October in October sky. Uh, granted, West Virginia was not quote unquote technically a Southern state, but they're rural. They're hillbillies. Yeah. They're not part of the industrialized north by any stretch of the imagination. But who was the one that fired a freaking rocket for the first time through the sky? Yeah. It wasn't a damn. It wasn't a damn
2: Yankee. Oh, <laughs> then South Carolina's got got the Wright brothers.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, north, Carolina, north, north Carolina, Kitty Hawk. Now, oh. granted, you'll you'll have the Ohioans will argue. Well, or- Orville and uh, uh, the Wright brothers were from. Uh, Ohio, okay, we'll grant that. But they came to North Carolina to fly their plane.
2: Yeah, they didn't fly you know. it in Ohio. They weren't. I mean, nothing good happens in Ohio. So. Where
1: was cheer? Where was Cheerwine invented? North Carolina. Where's Pepsi invented? North Carolina. Coca-Cola. Where's La- La- Lance Crackers? North Carolina. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, every, it's like, everything everybody loves comes from the South. And it's like, the, I don't know if it's envy, covetousness. Uh, it, they make fun of everything. And I, I can't help but think the reason everybody hates us is because they know there's a natural superiority. That, that I, and I'm not saying I'm better than them, it's just how we've lived our lives. It's, it's, always been,
2: it's, it's, it's The, always the culture been. has produced a better culture than they are. Like, well, excuse me, excuse me. The area has produced a better culture than than the people that hates us. And they hate us because they are not the owners of this culture. Um, right. You know, we're, we're stewarding a, a fire that, you know, they're envious of. Um, and, and, and quite frankly, even if they're not envious of us, they hate us because of the underlying reasons that we are, you know, in, in most people's opinions, better. Uh, and, and that's because we started off on a Christian foundation. And um, everything exactly. we do flows from that. And because they hate Christ, they hate all of his benefits.
1: Amen.
0: Well, this is the it, iconoclast but, element that I'm talking about. Yeah. they're against Christ, and so anything that reminds me of Christ is to be refuted and destroyed. Yeah, and so they're going to go after it, and they're going to burn it to the ground, literally. They're going to burn it to the ground. Um, we talked about this in our transhumanism episode, uh, transhumanism episode. And it's that they they want to divorce reality. Uh, the tangible reality from who you are and what you are they want to deny the body and the soul as our confessions have told us and as the scriptures teaches that we are both body and soul they want to yeah. deny that.
2: so so before we get too far off on, uh, on what we were what Lucas brought up the people from Mississippi uh, everybody assumes they ain't smart. Uh, it reminds me of a joke I heard at a cigar bar uh, a few years back, and there this there this boy who came from Mississippi State to Harvard. He was transferring up to Harvard. His first day there, he went and he saw saw this man wearing tweed, smoking a pipe, had two arm patches, you know, you know, the whole whole nine yards. Regular Harvard alumnus, the the old boy from Mississippi State said, "Where can I find the lot?" Or, er, hold on." Where's the library at? The man in tweed looked down and said, My boy, here at Harvard, we do not end our end sentences in prepositions. So the boy from Mississippi looked up and said, All right, where's the library at, asshole? <laughs> that sounds about right, <laughs> I was talking there for a bit, but yeah.
1: That's still good. Oh, uh, hey, well. <laughs> He's a library that asshole. <laughs> you know. And, you know. What's funny too is, um, uh, what was I talking about? Uh, so Noah Alvarenga. Uh, you guys are, are. you familiar with him? White boy summer. That boy. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. MJ, yeah,
1: yeah. His, I don't. I don't. I don't want to get this wrong. And if he listens to this. No, don't be offended, but I think he said his parents, one's El Salvadorian, the other one's Colombian, so they're not Mexican. Uh, We do differentiate down here. Uh, We're not all, we we joke around about that. Like every, like, king of the hill, are you Chinese or Japanese? It's like, they're all Mexican. But, like, this (laughs) this dude, (laughs) this dude has an absolute love for white people. He doesn't even live down here. He's in New York okay uh white boy summer is his thing uh and i, I remember I, I he asked me to listen to the episode that he was on with shepherd's crook those guys on that podcast and they got to talking about um uh ethnic superiority and stuff like that and it's like I, this is something i've been thinking about for a while like anthropologists if things work out well in the future, and I hope they do, people are going to look back at this era and make distinctions between ethnicities in America. Like, we have our own distinct ethnicity. Uh, we're not just Anglo and Irish. I mean, they're, I don't know what they call it. I really don't. Because patrilineally, I'm Irish. My last name is Irish, but genetically, I'm predominantly Anglo. I explained that. But we have different cultures down here, and I, and I, and I divided it into three. How, how the the relationships between ethnicities are, and I, I said, you know, there's one where it, there's one there's one level where we recognize our differences, and and I, and I think in the, this is the, this is what I was wanting to talk about. The other two we can talk about at another, at another time. But, but the first one was that there are different people with different cultures. Differing bloodlines, even, uh, we're friendly towards each other, but there is a, uh, uh, a brotherly, uh, competitive behavior. I guess you could say like we don't see ourselves as superior, like ontologically, but we see ourselves as superior developmentally and the things that we pursue we have our strengths, we have our weaknesses and we, we pull and push and we make fun of each other. Like at work the other day, a guy said he was from South Carolina. I'm from North Carolina. I quit. I made a really funny joke. Made every tore up everybody. This guy was laughing his ass off too. But I've heard this joke a thousand times. My dad told it to. He's like, uh, Hey man, uh, did you know the toothbrush was invented in South Carolina? And the guy was like, no way. I was like, yeah, that's why it's not called a teeth <laughs> I mean, I had the whole factory floor cackling, laughing their ass off. This guy was crying. He was laughing so hard. And I'm like, that joke is not that fun. But the fact that we had all these guys from different areas, Talking trash to each other. One guy from Burke, one guy from Lincoln, another guy from Catawba, another guy from Gaston. You know, we're all talking shit to each other because even within our own counties, we have different cultures. Even within our within our counties, we have different cultures. Yeah, and true. it's funny. Like we can have this uh, competitive, this 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 brotherly competitiveness about us. Where we're able to talk shit to each other, and you know, have pissing contests, but it's all done in good fun. And, and it's like like what would happen with South Carolina and the, the, the tariff of abominations. It's like if anybody's going to kick South Carolina's ass, it's going to be us, not you, damn Yankees. You know what I mean? Like like the four states that, that joined the Civil War at the very end, North Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee. I think it was Tennessee. Hell, I don't remember. There was four of them that joined way late. The last four joined. They didn't join because of slavery. They joined because their fellow countrymen were being bullied by a centralized government of a different culture in the north who was different religiously, different ideologically, and to use Dabney's words, different racially, even if they were white. I do see see Northern, I, I see New Englanders, people, heritage New Englanders are a different ethnicity. I don't give a damn if we both have the same amount of anglo and irish dna going through our veins i believe deep down inside ethnically we are absolutely different and because of that difference they see a national developmental superiority in us that they hate and so they have to continue hammering down on us it's been like that since since at least andrew jackson's maybe before Alright, get off my soapbox. Uh,
2: so, so, so uh, it, it's interesting because uh, the, the word that keeps popping up, you know, in my mind and also in just other conversations I've had is ethnogenesis. Like, we're seeing a real ethnogenesis happen through you know, literally, yes. literally it, it started from the time they got off the boats and they set the colonies up and now we're just seeing it like, you know, like for instance, if you look at like a family tree, you can see how they're Drifting down, like for instance, my my people, they drifted down from Georgia, North Carolina, Virginia, and they trickled down through Alabama. And you can see where they stopped and died, stopped and died. And that's and now now like so. For for the most part, I would consider Southern a race in the same way that I consider like Latin or Asian. Um, and in in the next you know years, I don't know how long it's actually going to take before. Each group is recognized as an actual, their own ethnic group. Um, but whenever that happens, we're going to start seeing pockets from, like, Alabama. Kind of like the same way we see Honduras and, and the Dominican yeah. Republic, Alabama, Mississippi, and that type of stuff. Uh, and we, we can already see it now. I mean, um, <coughs> if you look towards the Midwest, where a lot of the Germans and Swedes uh, stopped, um, there's huge Swedish just Swedish towns. There's huge German towns. That's why Lutheranism is so big, you know, right there in the in the uh, the middle yeah.
0: Midwest. Yeah, yeah this anyways. kind of reminds me of medieval Europe. Yeah, um, you know they they were all fighting and killing each other, and as soon as the Moors came up from the south and Spain was in real trouble, they said. Oh, hell no.
1: Yeah.
0: That yeah. Yeah. was me. <laughs> yeah. well, and, it, it, well, it went all the way to the Holy League.
1: People get hung up on, on like, like the idiot Owen Strawn or whatever. Like, ethno-nationalism or whatever. I, I don't remember what we were talking about a it was some spat on Twitter, and, and I, I looked it up. There are over 80 ethnicities native to Europe. 80 ethnicity, Not countries. Ethnicities. Hell, even within Great Britain, there are several. And even in Ireland, Ireland, the tiny little island of Ireland, <laughs> there are several different dialects of, of uh, Irish Gaelic. So, uh, you can't go from Ulster the comic, and expect it To be understood like Clearly You see what I'm saying like in Africa The continent of Africa You have over 600 different ethnicities So it's like whenever Wolf Made that point in this book and, in, uh, and on Twitter that inter-ethnic Marriage isn't always Wise and that's probably that probably would have been A better choice of words I think he's Just said that it's not wise for Inter-ethnic marriage I think there is a level of prudence that comes with interethnic marriage. Early America, it was very uncommon to see a person of Irish descent marry someone of German descent. That was unheard of. That was unwise because of the clash of those two cultures. You didn't see a, a German Lutheran marrying an Irish Catholic. That, that was unheard of.
2: Uh, it's and, like in the beginning and, of the book, Gone with the Wind, where, uh, the Wilkes um, you know, at, it, Scarlett and Ashley couldn't get married because one was an Irish Catholic, and the other, Ashley married his cousin, because they had to keep it within the same, um, ethnic group.
1: Well, see, that's um, the thing, too, people look at Ireland, and they, and they think, uh... Uh, I don't understand the big deal. Like in Northern Ireland, like Irish uh, Protestants and Catholics, like they're both white. It's like, are you freaking kidding me? They even consider themselves different ethnicities up there. Being Irish Catholic is an ethnicity. Being Irish Protestant is an ethnicity. Like you can't, you could can be from the same. You could, you could be from free order one another. You could be from free dairy, or you could be from dairy, even though they're the exact same place. What you call it signifies what you are. If you're from Derry, or then you're from you're an Irish Catholic. If you're from Derry or London dairy, you're Protestant. You're a Loyalist. You're, uh, you're different blood. You're, you're different language. And let's look at Africa. The, the Tutsis and the Hutus. Y'all remember the Rwandan genocide? Like those people look absolutely the same, but it was it would be incredibly stupid and dangerous ethnically for people to, like, during that time, especially, to intermarry. Hell, so Romeo and Juliet. You know, that's that's, that's basically what this looks like, the, the Montesquieu and the Capulets, like, different cultures, different ethnicities, different groups of people were all very tribal. But that's the whole point, you know, they want to bring, they want to say, well, Christ is supposed to flatten this out. He it, it doesn't flatten it out. It doesn't destroy it. What it does is it it should strengthen your identity for one, but two, it allows there to be grace between these tribes, between these groups of people, but it takes time. Ethnogenesis is not something that can be forced. And I feel like that's what we're, we're seeing is we're seeing this uh, cultural uh, dogmatism, I guess you could say that like you have to intermarry. Like if you want to prove that you're not a racist, then you have to intermarry. Or at the very least, you have to say out loud that it's okay for blacks and whites to get married. It's okay for uh, Mexicans and Costa Ricans to get married. It's okay, you know, for Asians and uh, whatever. Like, no, like we're not playing the uh, we're not doing the struggle session here. Like, you you, you get married, like you you find a mate relative to the, to the wisdom inculcated. By your parentage, by your 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 family. Uh, look, if a black guy and a white girl want to get married, on the face of it, I I can't judge it. There's no information to judge. But people will say, I know I got one group to, to one side of me that says, "Oh, that's absolutely disgusting, vile." That can't happen. Another side is, "Oh, it's beautiful. Oh my goodness. Oh, it's so great." But then you look at it, and it's like, okay if these two families have been living within the vicinity of each other, you know, her ancestors owned his family as slaves at one time and they have a history together, you know, and there's, there's a, a level of, of, of wisdom that has gone into this. There's no tension between their families or whatever, or whatever, you know, go for it. I don't care. Like, I don't care, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to encourage it because guess what? I'm, I'm a very regionalist person. I'm a very particularist person. It has nothing to do with me. I'm not going to sit here and be offended by it either. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I got two points on this. The first point, in a conversation with some of our mutuals a couple weeks back, I think. Um, th- there's there's been several interviews about you know race and um, this whole idea of ethnic identity. And yeah. one of the biggest problems I see, and I'm not, I, I guess right now I could be seen as like quote unquote race realist because I think, I think it's oh, true yeah. that your genetics affect you.
1: And yeah, no, I'm sorry. influence. Let me clarify, know. too. Let me clarify before you do that because I, okay. I, 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 I want, I mean, I agree with you. I don't know where you're going. There are developmental issues. There are genetic problems that come from that. That are, again, it goes back to wisdom. It goes back to like a, a knowing the repercussions, on, even on a genetic level, right? Not just a cultural level, but a genetic level. Sickle cell anemia, um, blood type. Like my friend, I had a friend who died of leukemia a while back. Uh, he had to get bone marrow uh, transplant but guess what he couldn't get a bone marrow transplant on the basis of, of blood type it was ethnic it was a genetic connection he had to have a genetic like a deep genotypical connection to the donor of the bone marrow it had to be someone of a Hispanic bloodline and I had another friend who died who I was in the Navy with he died of leukemia And he had to get bone marrow transplants from a black person. So I I get exactly where you're going. I'm with you 100%. Charles Murray talks about it. I'm with you on Race realism. But go ahead. Uh,
0: Okay, but the disservice that guys on this side of the aisle do to themselves is when the conversation of ethnicity or race come up, we instantly go for skin color.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's this is the meme that's been perpetuated for, you know, hundreds of years now about well, it's just because of the skin color. Um, No, no, it's really not. Um, Genetics play a part in who you are. That's just a reality of genetics. It's a reality of how God made it. So you can't avoid that. It's not about the skin color. Um, and so I was asked if a black dude comes up and he wants to marry your daughter, what would your response be? And I said, that depends. Okay. Well, what if a white dude comes up and wants to marry your daughter? Well, that depends. Yeah. (laughs) You know, if the white dudes from New York, uh, I don't know, probably not. You know, right. our cultures don't jive. No. And so we're going to have problems with intermarrying our families because their culture is very different from ours. Yeah. So this guy needs to be an upstanding man, first off. Yeah. Yeah. Second, he needs to have a cultural affinity with ours. Yeah. Um, if he's not from the same culture, he at least need to be from a culture that complements ours. Right. And then there's going to be a a period of time where we have conversations. I get to know this guy. Uh, right, I get to know his family. You know, that's a that's a long drawn out conversation. And I'm not obligated even if this guy is a good Christian man. I'm not obligated to give him my hands to, my my daughter's hand in marriage.
1: Amen. Well, yeah. What
0: if it's an Anglo 8 or an
2: African American 7?
1: <laughs> oh, uh, the,
0: the, the second point I was getting into Was the The whole um, There was a uh, An article that came out Not too long ago um, We need to build a, a black country In the south There needs to be a black state in the south Louisiana
1: um, <laughs> Ma, Louisiana.
0: Um, well, but he, here's the problem they're going to want to move blacks from all over the country to go to this quote unquote black state in the south when all these other blacks from the other different parts of the country are not like southern blacks. Uh-uh. Yeah, no, so they're not gonna get along. I don't care if you have the same skin color, mm-hmm. right. So again, yep. This I, I can. I've done this even in North Carolina. I lived up there for a few years. Um, the blacks in the North Carolina area. I can talk about Yankees. I can chuckle and say "huh, Yankees," and they know what I'm talking about. Yep. I don't have to explain myself. the the uh, The black guy from New York. I chuckle and I say Yankees. What do you mean by that? Yeah. <laughs> if you don't yeah. get it, you don't get it. Yeah. Um, blacks from Mississippi, I can drive down. There's entire neighborhoods. They're split between blacks and whites. You don't know when you cross the black to white divide line. They got the same kind of cars. They got the same kind of yards. They got the same kind of houses. Uh, The only difference, I know it's a black dude when he's got an old, um, what's the cars they drive? An old Pontiac that's lifted up about two foot out in the air, and it's got those 28s on it, and it's like a hot purple. (laughs) I know that dude's black. (laughs) Um, But I, you know, that dude's probably a good dude. I got no problem with him. Um, He's a fellow Southerner, as far as I'm Um,
1: do you follow? Do you follow Jasper? Uh, I don't yes. remember. On uh, Twitter,
2: Fornsby, I think. Yes. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. Always phenomenal content. That's somebody we got to have on. Uh, if he wants to reveal it, if it's even a he, I don't even know. If he wants to reveal himself or his voice or whatever, we can give him like a Darth Vader voiceover. I don't care.
2: <laughs> Get, but, give him uh, an FBI freaking gurgly. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, always great content. Well, he posted something the other day, and I shared it, about how, like, before Jim Crow laws existed, which, by the way, originated in the North. Okay? Let me say that again for our listeners. Jim Crow, Crow laws originated in the North. Okay? I mean, we were already segregated
2: down here, so...
1: And it, it came from this mentality. Uh, in the midst of the Civil War, and after, after slaves were emancipated, Whole cities, whole cities in the north, banned black people from even settling, from even declaring their city as a sta- as a, a city of residence. They wouldn't even let them pass through. They were blockades. They didn't want black people. This is what kills me about the self righteousness of these people who look upon the South. Oh. The South wanted to perpetuate slavery. It, it, again, presentism. Okay, uh, what, what did C. S. Lewis call it? Uh, uh, chronological snobbery. Chronological snobbery. Like the issue in the South. Yes, the, there was elements that wanted slavery to continue. I mean, hell, they, they had no other model for how they could survive because their plantations were so freaking huge, and they were providing agriculture from the rest of the country. Like there, there were economic there were economic questions that needed to be answered there were cultural questions that needed to be answered there were demographic questions that needed to be answered like what are you going to do with all these freed blacks they didn't give them the what was the 10 acres and the donkey that didn't even happen because there were too many too many to do that but in the north they had a solution oh you freed all these blacks well guess what they can't come here and it's but like wow you
0: drop them off in the south
1: You guys are so you guys are so moral and tolerant and righteous. Like you don't want all these free Southern blacks. Like (laughs) the uh, what was it? The Kansas Ratch or the
2: Kansas Massacre or something like that. The Kansas
1: Nebraska Uh, Act. Yeah, there was a a mass lynching of black people. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, I mean, but but oh,
2: you had we need to free the slaves. Uh, Yeah, uh, heal thyself,
1: physician. And the thing was, like, I don't agree with everything he says in his book, Hummel, uh, Emancipating Slaves and Slaving Free Men. Very libertarian, both stupid solutions in there, uh, in that regard. But he makes he makes it quite clear that the South was already in many areas was already making uh, strides toward uh, abolishing slavery. Not not, not abol- I don't want to say abolish because I hate that. It's it's a radicalist term. Uh, phasing out slavery would be more like it like uh, a creative destruction i guess you could say um before the cotton gin was invented slavery was expensive like they didn't even want like like it didn't make sense to even keep slaves but then when the cotton gin was invented the demand for cotton went up through the roof and so they were like oh crap we need slaves and so they started you know the, the slave trade boomed again right but even after that, it's starting to taper off in, in several areas. Like, that's why such a small percentage of people in the South even owned slaves, despite the fact that the, the South was, was and still is the largest area of black people in the United States. There are more black people in the South than there are in the New England, Midwest, California, definitely out in the West. Go to Utah. Tell me how many black people you see in Utah. <laughs> I
2: mean, yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean, especially some of the uh, the abolitionist solutions of um, just freeing them. Okay, so we're gonna take someone that's never managed their life before, never handled money, and we're just gonna free them. You know, no no expectation for a job or anything like that. Just pride. right, yeah, and Agreed. they're gonna survive. They're not they're Agreed. not gonna either die of starvation or or turn into like a, you know. Yes, obviously some of them would get hired back to go work, but even still, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because they're going to be getting paid less technically because now they have to supply their own room board, food, clothes, everything when it was all given to them.
0: Well, it definitely um, needs to be mentioned again and again that the oh tolerant free-the-slaves North took all of their blacks and transplanted them to the South and just dropped them off and left.
1: Yeah. They even put them in no. militias, dude. Right. Like, they- part of Sherman's, part of, part of Sherman's uh, march, you know, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, you guys are probably more, I, I haven't read up on Nathan Bedford for yet and the history of the KKK, but it's my understanding that they commissioned black militias to terrorize. And they, these, these weren't even black people from the South. They were from the north that had been imported in, these black militias that go through and terrorize southern towns that were still resisting Reconstruction. Well, and yeah, so that's, okay. why these, that's why these nativist groups had to rise up and were like, hey, wait a minute, like, this is bullshit. Like, no, you can't do this. Well,
0: the, the one slave that ratted out Jeff Davis um, after the war, he ratted him out to the Yankees. The other slaves on the Davis plantation. Exiled him. They would not speak to him. His own family refused to speak to him. He couldn't come back to the plantation. They wouldn't give him food, room, board, anything. Um, because their allegiance was to Jeff Davis. They yeah. loved Jeff Davis.
2: Yeah. I think I mentioned this earlier. I mean, the, 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 the Slaves on the plantation, especially if it wasn't like one of those extremely large ones where they just had, you know, thousands of slaves and they never saw the overseer. But plantations about the size of like Beauvoir or you know something comparable, um, they had a loyalty to their, you know, essentially their adoptive family, I guess you could say.
0: Yeah, I think there needs to be a conversation about this. Um, I know I got in trouble with the CI guys and some of our northern friends about this, but um, you know when the when the South bought black slaves, the, the black slaves were deracinated, and post Civil War, the animosity that was spruck, that was sparked between Southern whites and Southern blacks has left really Southern blacks without a home. They're rejected by their people back in, you know, Mother Africa. And there's a good portion of the Southern whites that reject them as well. And so they don't have a family. They're by themselves. Um, Candace Owens, for whatever anybody thinks of her, um, she talked about this when the whole Kanye West thing kicked off. I refuse to call that guy Yay, Um, but you know, that whole thing kicked up and she was talking about how blacks have yet to find a real identity and they're trying to develop that. Um, the hoteps are an an example of them trying to do this. Black Hebrew Israelitism is an attempt to do this. Um, and so, you just have to... It, once you understand that, I guess where I'm coming from, um, I, think, I think Southern Blacks ought to be recognized as being our countrymen. Because yeah. they are. They were deracinated. We did that. Our ancestors. Yep. Did that, whether it's whether we own their slaves or not, whether we own their family members or not, there are cultural implications from be, bringing people across the world and enculturating them with Western civilization. You have to take responsibility for that. Um, by America the way, never took that responsibility with uh, Japan, by the way. And all of the stuff that's going over in Japan, I mean, I really feel for the Japanese people. Um, all the stuff that America did to them post-World War II, all the boomers. Uh, I, I know I got pushed back on cr- criticizing boomers, but I'm going to do it one more time. Um, you know, all the boomers think, well, Japan's making all kind of money. What's the matter? Right? But you don't realize that when you work for a Japanese company, that Japanese company owns you, literally. Yeah. And if you fail your deadline, you know, in America, you might lose your job. Um, over there, you might lose your family. Yeah. your family will disown you for failing. Um, hey,
1: can I... Have- <clears throat> Sorry. Go ahead.
0: No, I'm just... Like, that's things that you know, we take responsibility, we want to go out and make people Western, well we, uh, the North wants to do that, because the South really didn't try to do that.
1: A really Um, bastardized view of Western, it's it's post-Enlightenment Westernism, not even, not even pre-modern moral, classical what built civilization Westernism, but the shitty uh, degenerate, bastard view of it that come from the Enlightenment that's what they want. Right. Very commercial, very commercial, very materialistic, uh, very narcissistic, um, what, what? I don't even know, uh, psychotic, <laughs> I guess you would say.
0: Sociopathic.
1: But, sociopathic. Hey, just, <clears throat> I, I don't want to, before we get too far afield, the point you were making about blacks being deracinated, <clears throat> people, that's another thing people need to look at, too. It, several generations had already passed. When the Civil War happened, like the transatlantic slave trade had already ended, like right the south, the south, the slaves that existed in the south were homegrown at this point. They, they were, uh, dare I say, they were legacy blacks. They were they're born and raised in America, native blacks to America, who were also then after emancipation were also deracinated because of reconstruction they not only were they deracinated their ancestors deracinated they were deracinated during reconstruction yep they they were made to leave the plantation uh, their owners for lack of a better term their masters were forced into this this impossible moral paradox where Despite the fact that they were very paternalistic, that they cared for these slaves, that they loved these slaves, that these slaves were part of their families, despite all of that, like, they suffered with them. Like, it wasn't all Harriet Tubman's stupid Uncle Tom crap that, that, that we hear in public school. There were people who loved these, these, these black slaves. Stonewall Jackson loved them. Stonewall Jackson broke the law to, to teach them how to read. On a Sunday no on a Sunday no less.
0: Yeah, right? It was like a, it was,
2: it was a it loophole. <laughs> it was a
1: beautiful loophole that he would educate them on Sunday, on the Sabbath, as a sabbatarian, you know, doing the Lord's work. They look at this and they they act like, you know, oh, white people were being, you know, are self righteous, you know, paternalistic, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, let's go back to what we're talking about. What the hell were we supposed to do with all these free blacks at that point? Because all it did, all abolition did, was uh, spark a uh, a level of animosity that wasn't really there. They had the 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 demand for animosity between blacks and whites was there was a far greater demand for that animosity than there was in supply. Let's just put it that way. They had to create propaganda. And and, and going back to what I was saying earlier with those those, the cities in the north that, that blockaded blacks from even settling there, why the hell do you think the freaking Underground Railroad ended in Canada? Because the blacks weren't allowed to settle in the north. They had to sneak away all the way to freaking Canada. They couldn't go to Mexico either. Hell no, Mexico wasn't having that. They had to go all the way to Canada for that. Where, by the way, they still weren't treated very well. They're still treated like third-rate citizens, even in Canada. The only place that Southern Black had a home and could have had a way better existence, arguably, quality of life, despite the propaganda. People need to go back and read the uh, slave uh, narratives. Not all of them were treated that way. Were there some? Obviously, good grief. There's always exceptions, but exceptions never—exceptions prove the rule. You understand what I'm saying? The paternalism in the South for the slaves was, was pervasive, and I don't care. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care how much propaganda you put up. All that propaganda is regurgitated from the South. It was propaganda that was used during Reconstruction to dog the South, to make the South, the Southerners, uh, to guilt trip Southerners, to make them hate themselves. But then, when black people tried to move anywhere else in the country, nobody would have them, or they'd get lynched. Or the Jim Crow laws, which developed in the north, say it again, Jim Crow laws began in the north. You're not going to convince me. You're not going uh, <clears> to, <throat> again, blood memory, my ancestors, you're not going to convince me several generations from the south that blacks had it better off had they not ever been come here, They would have been enslaved in Africa. But think about that for a second. Where did the slaves the come ones from?
0: that were sent back were enslaved and killed. They came yeah. from Mahomi.
2: Uh, uh un- Unironically, that was the slaver emperor, emperor's name was Mahomi. Yeah.
1: Was that the in Ghana? Was that the Ghana? Uh, the Ghana the, the kingdom in Ghana? I, I can't remember. I, I believe the, so. Massive kingdom who constantly conquered other tribes and ethnicities. Remember, continent with over 600, 800 ethnicities. <clears throat> they conquered and enslaved other blacks made money off of them selling them to Spain to Great Britain and then eventually to the Americas to Portugal so even in South America my goodness Brazil what do you think what do you think Central and South America they had the same issues down there slavery, oh. revolts abolition all that and the other like act like.
2: South, uh, hold on, there, there's an important distinction to make, and, and I made it on a previous podcast, and, and it was um, the the difference between the, the the South American and like the Caribbean slaves and the ones in the South is the ones in the South were generational, and right. that's because they actually could have kids and they didn't die on the you know
1: in the middle oh of the yeah camp. yeah yeah oh goodness yeah the East papers were brutal oh yeah. Hell oh, yeah, they were. Spain was especially is had it the worst. Spain was terrible. They, the <clears throat> The way they treat they they were not paternalistic at all, by any stretch of the imagination. And again, and this goes back to the South. Like, why am I able to get along so well with the black guys that I work with? It's because we share a culture, and we do. They they talk with a southern slang like I do. You understand what how I'm many, saying, but like, how many of those go, um,
0: black kids? Uh, uh, Edgerton talks about this. How many of those black kids want to share or fly the rebel flag, or they want to talk about their southern heritage, and they're shut down by the schools, saying yeah. that you flying the rebel flag is you being racist against black people.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I know that Before people say it's a myth. You know, I don't. I haven't found very much information on it because it might it might exist or it might have existed at one time and got destroyed. But I've always heard that there were black people who fought in the Civil War on the side of the South. I don't know if that's true. I, I have heard, at the very least, that slaves on certain plantations, when Union Army would come through to to raid these plantations, the slaves were like, "Uh, no." <laughs> we're going to kill you because you shouldn't be here and we love our master and no. Or they would rape. They would even rape slaves, dude. And kill the slave children. Union army. And even these black militias that came through during Reconstruction. Like, if you were still loyal to your master and you still lived on that plantation, they're going to kill you. It wasn't as clean cut as everybody makes it out to be. And the mids... The mids abound on both sides. So uh, what I'm saying right now could very well be a myth. I don't know. Hell, it's so hard to even tell anymore what's accurate and what's not, because the historical record has been so appended uh, and amended that it's hard to tell what's what's true and what's not. All we have to go on is is oral uh, word of mouth history, oral history, and a lot of this. You know what I mean, like it, and that's well, what bothers I to
0: me. my people, you know. I do
1: too. I do and too. That's, I, I agree. I agree. That's
0: kind of that. where I'm coming from on this, and that's 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 why I'm commenting about even you know everybody's probably wondering how I got into Japan,
1: but oh yeah, I mean yeah, you can go back to that.
0: <laughs> well the whole idea is Yankees want to go do something and then they refuse to take responsibility for it. Every Afghanistan,
1: country. Afghanistan, Vietnam.
0: Yeah, Um, the the Afghanistan is a perfect one, right? We just got ran out of there by ISIS, right? Why? Well, because we we were trying to tell these guys to go mutilate themselves. We wanted to fly rainbow flags, but we couldn't provide them with proper jurisprudence and we couldn't give them roads. And ISIS could do that.
1: We wanted them. <laughs> we
0: wanted we want them it. gay, but no roads <laughs> and no proper judicial system. Like, I'd take Hezbollah. <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. It's- well, hell, what, what we're starting to experience now uh, with the kangaroo courts, man. Like, if you commit a crime in Washington D.C. like Trump, and you got to go before the grand jury, it it's a wash, dude. The vast majority of the degenerates who live in Washington, D.C., if you're conservative, you're screwed. Or, or a semi-conservative, quasi-conservative. I don't consider Trump a conservative by any stretch of the imagination. But he's screwed. In that regard. Like, a grand jury in, in Washington, D.C.? Like, what the hell? Like, I, I wouldn't... This is why, like, I used to work in a major metropolitan area uh, here in North Carolina, and I can still carry. And my wife and I talked about it. Like if I had during the BLM, all the BLM BS that happened, like if I had to shoot a black dude, I'd be screwed. The superior court in, in Mecklenburg County, which is where I would was working. I would have been screwed. The district attorney would have, would have, and, and the jury, it's easy to get on a jury, man. Like I'm telling you, it's easy to get on it. It's easier to get on a jury than it is to get off of the jury. And if if you hate white a white conservative person bad enough, you're gonna find a way to get on that jury, and you're and and I'm gonna go ahead and say it: the vast majority of the culture in Mecklenburg County is not conservative. You can tell that by how shitty the government's run and the idiots they continue to vote for there. If I had to shoot somebody, I'd be screwed. I would be absolutely screwed, despite the fact that I, I got. Uh, you know, USCCA, uh, you know, lawyer on on uh, what's it called? Retainer through them. You know, it's like it wouldn't matter. But here in my hometown, if I have to, if I shoot a black guy, and it's like legit, like a crime was being committed against me, and I had to shoot him, I wouldn't be in trouble. With him. Not yet. But like more, you know, George Soros keeps appointing these district attorneys in all these, all these, uh, all these big, big cities and stuff. It's like it's only a matter of time before I'm screwed. You know what I mean? Like,
0: well, that's kind of what's happened to Jackson, right? Because um, Jackson got this district attorney that was uh, district attorney that's this big Soros guy, and now anybody who's black can literally get away with murder, or theft, or carjacking, or anything else, and they just let him
1: go. Yeah. Yeah. And like the January 6th people who are being held under some BS about uh, uh, anti-terrorism laws and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's We have a kangaroo court system. Uh, Trump, that was probably the best thing Trump ever did when he was in office was all the judges he appointed. That was the best thing he could have ever done. And it was good because it was a good counter to because he, he knew I don't know how he knew, but he knew George Soros was funding this DA campaign and getting all these district attorneys to to all these different uh, states and stuff. The one thing you can't control is a grand jury. You can't control the the, the makeup of a jury. Uh, demographics are our destiny. Whether whether we want to admit it or not, demographics are destiny. Like, you're, you're going to be judged by your quote-unquote peers, but if your peers in your town hate you, and you... Act justly, you're screwed, because they've been they've been inculcated with such heavy ideology. It doesn't matter if what you did was just.
0: Well, I'll even append what you're saying here. I'm going to put peers here in quotes, right? Because what they're doing is they're importing a bunch of people, and then these people right. are quote unquote your peers. Um, you know, talking to a transplant about who a Mississippian is. Trying to tell him that a Mississippian isn't a guy who moved here last week. He's a guy who has family here. I, I think uh, Travis, you and I talked about this a while back. Where's your granddaddy buried? That's who you. That's who you are.
1: Hell right? yes. Hell my, yes. You,
0: both of my granddaddies yeah. are 30 minutes from me. Right. My I've been around here. My people have been around here. Yep. Somebody who moved from New York here, you know, 15 weeks ago is not my people now they can learn and they can come alongside and they can be a part of the community and all that good stuff um, you know but i think yeah, the law from the it. old Testament i think the law from the old testament's a pretty good judge of who your people are you know if someone yeah. comes in they want to immigrate the, the the fourth son right the fourth son is part of your people
1: yep we had some jackass and next next county commissioner election He's probably going to run again. But this jackass is from New York City. Ain't even lived here a year. And this son of a bitch was qualified to run for county commission. Can you, I mean, does that make sense to you? Like, tell me how much you have to hate your own culture, your own people, to even have laws in the books that allow for that, or rather the lack thereof. The lack of law. Like how the hell does that make sense? That some bastard transplant can come into my county totally against the culture of everything we believe. Undoubtedly an atheist, probably doesn't go to church, probably is pro-abortion, probably pro-LGBT, transing kids, all that crap. And he's going to come here and run for county commissioner? Even being allowed to be put on the ballot, I have a buddy. I, well, I have a friend who, again, uh, it's the same thing. That now there was another guy who ran for city council. I actually, no, he ran for county commissioner too. Not from not from my county. He was a marine, atheist, hardcore libertarian. And at first, I was I was I was tempted to like support him when he ran for county commissioner. I got to thinking about it, I was like, there's so much. This is what Pulled my head out of my butt and got me away from libertarianism. Like, I don't care if I align with him on a bare ideological level. Like, this guy has is is clueless about my culture. He's clueless about my past and about the culture around me, the culture that made this this town, this county. Why the hell would I vote for him? He's a friend. I consider him a friend. We do MMA together. Like, why? why? I would and I even told him that. I'm like, I am i can't support you. I want to, but man, you don't have roots here. And it's not fair, like, I wouldn't support this other jackass from New York. Why would I support you? And he was totally I, cool I went around. That.
0: I went around asking North Carolinians how they wanted me to vote. Because <laughs> when I was up there and, you know, I got my voter card or whatever, it's like, I, I'm not voting for me, you know? Y'all, y'all are North yeah. Carolinians, you know. So I asked everybody else, "Hey, man, who you voting for? <laughs> I'll yeah. vote for I'll vote for who you think is uh, the best person for you."
1: Um, I, 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 there ought to be a law, <laughs> and I love saying that. There ought to be a law. There ought to be a law. Honestly, man, if you, I don't think you should be able to vote in North Carolina, this again, very regionalist. I'm being very provincialist, sectionalist. I don't care what other states do, but in North Carolina, I think there ought to be a law that if you're not at least third generation, not second generation, definitely not first generation, if you're not third generation or greater, you should not have a right to vote in any election in North Carolina at all. I don't give a damn if you're black, white, Hispanic, Asian, Russian, don't care. You should not have a right to vote because you have no roots here.
2: I mean, I think everyone on this podcast agrees with it that that particular stance. But but the thing is, is now you're messing with someone's quote unquote right to vote. You know, oh that, gosh, I, don't I know. want to read oh, there... barbarism.
0: Yeah, but... I love you, Noah. This ain't pointed at you, but you know they're they're giving uh, they're giving Mexicans the right to vote. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't re- I don't really care, you know. They'll, they'll give he, people who aren't even citizens of citizens of the country.
1: I know right we're going home, to the you know what I mean. Exact the exact opposite direction of what I was saying too. That that's what's that's what's crazy. You're you're giving there in, in California in San Francisco, illegal immigrants are working for the police now. Right. Think about that.
2: <laughs> Don't you love clown world?
1: I think the Louisiana purchase was a mistake, man. What the hell? Like what? Like why? We should just let Spain and Mexico or whoever keep California at this point. Like
2: what the hell the French, so
1: Oh, you know what I mean. No no no, I I didn't mean Louisiana (laughs) Purchase. I didn't mean Louisiana Purchase. I'm talking about how we got how we uh, commandeered California.
0: I was about to say wait a minute. That's our Anglo Right.
2: That is our Anglo right. That are, we manifest destiny is one hundred percent the Anglo's right. <laughs> we own it all. The only problem is, is we went too soft.
1: <laughs> yeah, we should have annexed Mexico. Mexico should
2: have. <laughs> yeah, that's a good five states right there. I mean
1: yeah and, yeah and that
2: border is so much more defensible because it's just a little canal yeah,
0: just it's a all the way point. Up, you
2: know
0: well hell I, yeah I, I will say this I used to work with a Panamanian and uh uh i i I, I, re- I regularly commented about how I, I might move up and buy out. And <laughs> 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 I said I'm gonna buy out a mountain and uh and uh I'll just raise goats, I'll raise mountain goats up on your mountain. Um, he thought that was hysterical. but um, uh, Jeff Davis was actually in favor of going all the way down through Central America um, and just owning the whole thing. He wanted well, the Golden me, Circle. He wanted yes, the Golden Circle.
2: That, that is every Southerner's uh, white whale. That, that is what yeah. we all want. We, we want <laughs> Cuba. We want all them tropical islands.
0: We want everything. We just, just have to do better golf. than the CIA, and when we take over it, don't invest in the cartels.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Damn it, yeah. Reagan. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, it wasn't just Reagan. It was it was everybody since World War II. Uh, yeah. Letting the CIA basically do whatever they want to do. Um, and and they, they
2: have to make money, and the mo- the best money makers the cartels.
0: Yeah. So they they called a bunch of cops over in Florida, who were. Uh, you know, doing these in in depth investigations, and so they had people; they were out in the field, undercover. Um, you know, in these drug cartels, come find out that the the cops were actually the the mob bosses, and <laughs> they found fa- they found this out because uh, they got their uh, mob boss credit card confused with their federal credit card.
1: Oh my god! <laughs> so
0: they were using their uh, their federal credit card. To buy hookers and blow, <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: um, and uh, everybody coins. was kind of like, mm, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know why the U.S. government's paying for hookers, but um, <laughs> I really don't think that the U.S. government would have minded the hookers so much. Um, but it got public, so that became a problem. You know what I mean? Yeah, he'd he probably done it a thousand it, times before that. Yeah, yeah it's not doing a thousand
2: times that, and that was just you know the one time. But um, hey, guys, we're at like
0: what two hours? Two now? hours now, yeah. Well, yeah. it's oh, like yeah. an hour and a half,
2: and we covered one one <laughs> article from the Confederate veteran. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: I was getting ready to say something, but I was like, you know, I'll just let them roll.
2: <laughs> you, you, you know, you know, Nate. Nate I mean, what we, we could do is is just take one article a month, and you know, after we. Go over that article, or excuse me, not one a month, but one article a uh, a podcast, and then just let Neil rant the rest
1: of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh no. Uh, but b- before we end things, it sounds like that's where we're we're landing the plane. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to to CJ and, and Andrew over there at Contramundum. Uh, their last episode, that, well it wasn't their last episode, it might might have been, but the title of the show was, uh, Is the South Rising Again? Very good episode, uh, they had a lot of great things to say about us folk, uh, CJ is very much on our side, he's, he's a little bit black-pilled, um, and my thing is, I had written an article a while back. I'm going to edit it, and I'm going to post it up on the Dixie Polis uh, substack, get that rolling. Uh, But it makes the point that it's kind of a rallying cry uh, to our fellow Southerners. If anybody can wake up, and if anybody can fix things and make them better, at least for their people locally, it's Southern. I don't think New England or the Northeast or the Midwest or the West Coast, no offense to our friends who live in those areas, I don't think they have a snowball's chance in hell. I don't think county before country is going to take off in Ohio like Michael Foster and all those guys think it is. As much as I hope it does and I pray it does, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm absolutely 100% wrong. But they don't have the cultural... What's the word I'm looking for? Footing, I guess you could say that uh, we we have down here in the south. Uh, we were called the Bible Belt for a reason, and I still think we are the Bible Belt. I think we're uh, we've just we're several we're a couple generations removed. We're a little bit more illiterate than we ever were before, but I I think that if we raise our own standards a little bit, if we start to encourage each other a little bit instead of browbeating each other and beating the pulpit. Uh, I, think, I think that we can – I think it's a white pill. Uh, I think that we can revive things. Uh, North Carolina, the only reason North Carolina has historically been a purple state is because, like we talked about on last episode, because Democrats here used to be conservative. And over time, the conservatives were hoodwinked into joining the Republican Party. North Carolina GOP is just as liberal as the Democrat Party was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, My own state assemblyman is a fat, squishy pig who uh, doesn't care about people here as much as he claims he does. And uh, he's not going to listen to this. I wish he would. But uh, I don't think that. The quote-unquote conservatives in the state house give a shit about them. I don't think they do. The it's not just the rich men north of Richmond; it's the uh, rich men uh, east of Charlotte uh, who don't give a shit about my people in the foothills and people in the mountains. And and to, to put things in perspective for you guys there is a vast cultural difference between East and Western North Carolina. And it's not just on bar. It's not just centered on barbecue, barbecue sauce. <laughs> that is the, that's like the, the main thing, right? It's vinegar based or, or, uh, or, what, based or whatever. It,
2: well, that's it, how you know what tribe you're in. <laughs> All
1: right? Uh, no, Eastern North Carolinians are, are very liberal in a progressive sense. They, uh, they hate their, they hate their past. They hate their culture. They're quizzing, and I say that boldly, and I don't care if they get mad uh, and and push back. Uh, Now, if you go far enough east, you run into Brunswick County, where there are a bunch of good southern folks there. The rebel flag still flies. Uh, Those are good people down there. Uh, But unfortunately, the coast has been transplanted heavily by the northerners, who some for some reason, finally realized that living at the beach is actually really cool. Uh, I don't know why it took them so long, but they're idiots, I guess. Um, but they all decided to transplant, you know, along uh, Wrightsville Beach and South Carolina down in Myrtle Beach. But, uh, yeah, uh, I think that, I think we have hope. But more than that, I don't think we should get hung up on hope if that makes any sense. I, I think that people need to buckle down, get ready for the shit storm ahead, and brace themselves because it's gonna get worse before it gets better. And you need to keep running. You need to keep pushing. keeping in mind that you're gonna be, probably gonna be doing it till you die. As simple as that. like the hope factor, the hope factor only matters in eternity, and I don't think that I don't think getting hung up on whether things are going to get better in our lifetime is a good is a good place is a good way to go. It's going to get worse before it gets better. I, I think we need to we need to set ourselves up to allow for our posterity to, to prosper, our children, our grandchildren. And I'll leave it at that.
2: We'll see. I mean, I, I know most of the, uh, you're post millennial, right? Ah, Mill. Ah, uh, mail. Okay, well, uh, I, I know. Pessimistic post mail. Okay, so he's just—he's yeah, okay. <laughs> just the wrong posty. Um, but anyways, uh, you know, for for my part, you know, because I'm post mail, I'm playing a thousand year game, right? Um, like I'm looking back. I myself am looking back a thousand years to see the see the cobblestones that my ancestors laid down before me and now I have to finish laying the road and it's difficult terrain right now but someone has to do the work um, so thinking thinking generate I mean yeah I'm not you know I might have to you know crap might hit the fan before I die uh, more so than it already has but at the same time just you know we're playing a long game here so
1: just go with it Yeah, the long Uh, game. That's a good way of of putting it. That's a good way of putting it. And like I said, I don't remember where I said this. It might have been on Twitter. But like, for all I know, when it does get better, there might not be United States of America. There might not be. Uh, And and the world may look completely different. The nation's, the nations, uh, the whole idea of a proposition nation will hopefully someday go away and we'll get back to understanding that there are true ethnic differences between people and we need to allow people to organically integrate the way they see fit and stop trying to force them the forced integration is a cause of a lot of tension Uh, transgressing other cultures uh, uh, their laws and their their social mores their scruples like that matters Um, and we we need, I I hope and pray future generations will take note of that better than our generation, you know, our parents, grandparents' generation who have utterly screwed this world up. But I don't think (laughs) they're, I don't think they're raptured. Glenn Sunshine had posted on on Facebook and it's such a great point that, you know, if you're living your life would you? He asked the question. Would you live your life differently if you uh, if you knew the if the answer to the question was Would you live your life differently knowing the rapture would happen tomorrow versus whether or not the rapture would happen a thousand years from now? If your answers are different in both of those, then you're doing it wrong. And I don't believe in the rapture. I'm just saying, like, still the second coming of Christ. Like, we need to be living with a personal eschatology that Christ could call us home as individuals at any minute. Uh, We could die tomorrow. One of us could die tomorrow. And we need to be living in such a way that we're setting our our posterity up for success.
0: Hey y'all, thanks for listening in on our podcast. If you like what you hear, please share and comment wherever you're listening to it. And check out our Gab page at Dixie Poll's Podcast. If you want to contact us, please send an email to DixiePolis at ProtonMail.com or send us a message on Gap. If you like the music we're playing, hang out a little while and let the song finish. It's Wayfaring Stranger by Southern Raised, and you can listen to them on YouTube or go to the website at SouthernRaisedBlueBrass.com. God bless y'all. I
1: know dark clouds Will gather around me I know my way is rough and steep, but beauty is fear.